Sometimes we think of suburbs as completely different from the city. However, suburbs are very much part of the urban ecosystem, and those living, working, and worshiping in the suburbs can have an impact on the whole city, including its urban core. I'm Michael Crane, and this is Mission City, a podcast about the urban revolution and how the church can serve the city. I'm a researcher and writer on the intersection of cities and the Christian faith. Our guest today helps us see this possibility of serving from the suburbs into the city. We also cover a wide range of other issues relating to urban impact. Dr. Brian McCabe is our guest today. Brian serves as a pastor at Northway Christian Community in the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In this role, he leads strategic urban partnerships across the city and the world, including with the House of Mana Faith Community in the Homewood neighborhood of Pittsburgh and the LAMP Youth Mentoring Initiative. He is the founder and director of the Transformational Urban Leadership Institute at NWCC. Brian is also the academic dean and chief academic officer at Baki Graduate University, where, as an urban missiologist, he equips urban leaders on six continents to transform cities. He is a co-author of the book Urban Shalom and the Cities We Need, as well as a co-editor of the New Urban World Journal and a member of the Urban Shalom Society, a network of Christians who gather to advocate for transformation at the systemic level around the world. Hi, Brian. Welcome to Mission City. Glad to have you as a guest today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, Brian, just to begin, I would love to hear a little bit about yourself and how you came to know Christ. Yeah, well, I actually grew up in a, a Christian family. My mom was on staff at a church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She was the worship director there, and my dad was an elder at the church. Uh, it was a church that is called Northway Christian Community. Uh, it was a non-denominational church. It started pretty small and and grew. Uh, it's now kind of a multi-site church in the Pittsburgh area. I came to Christ through their children's ministry at the church. I was kind of a church brat kid who was just hanging around. My parents thought that they had done everything that they could to kind of push me away from any type of vocational ministry. And <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it was that appealing to me. In my, uh, my 20s, I was an educator at a public school and an education administrator, but God kind of had a, a backdoor way of, of getting me back into pastoral work and urban church planning and lots of different kind of urban initiatives. So uh, yeah, I'm married uh, to Julie for, we just had our 24th anniversary and I have uh, three children. So you you grew up in Pittsburgh, more or less, and are back in Pittsburgh. Um, tell yeah. us about Pittsburgh and um, and then tell us a little bit about how you came to to love cities and want to engage cities. Yeah. So the, the family that I grew up in was a great family. It was also a suburban 
I guess, experience that I had growing up. I was kind of always taught that the city is a place where you can go for sporting events or, you know, the theater or plays or things like that. But it was also a place that you should stay away from because it's dangerous and, you know, you can get yourself into trouble. And so that's how I kind of viewed cities as, you know, I can benefit from the sports teams and things like that, but stay away from them. When I was an educator in my 20s, I was at a small school district in the San Joaquin Valley. And um, I, I kind of had my first experience there of a real passion for working with young people and mm. especially marginalized young people. There were a lot of challenges in this particular town that I was teaching in. And I also got involved in a local church. And our church would always say, we want to impact our community. And our school district would always say, we need a lot of help. We can't be the teachers and the social workers and the counselors and everything else. But somehow I could never figure out how to make those worlds come together while I was mm. out there. And so after six years of living there, uh, both my daughters were born and we didn't have any real strong family connections there in California. So we moved back to Pittsburgh. And while I was back in Pittsburgh, there was a leader for the large public school system in Pittsburgh that had started up a youth mentoring initiative involving churches to partner with public schools to provide mentors for young people growing up in neighborhoods where they had, you know, uh, high discipline problems and low academic outcomes. They were really hoping to identify children in third, fourth, fifth grade, find volunteer mentors from churches to match up with kids, and then have those mentors stay with the kids all the way through high school and graduation. Wow. I was really intrigued by that idea. At that time, I was applying for school principal jobs and things like that. And uh, the church approached me, this church that I grew up in, Northway, they said, Brian, we have no idea what we're doing with this church school partnership thing. You kind of get us because you grew up in this church. I think you get public education. Would you volunteer just to help us get this mentoring program up and going? Our church was matched up with this urban neighborhood called Homewood, which in the Pittsburgh area is a pretty low income, high crime neighborhood. And, and so I just went to Homewood for the first time. And I remember, you know, driving there thinking, oh, what am I getting myself into and not making any eye contact with anybody, making sure my doors were locked. I'm so embarrassed to say this now, but I went into the school and man, God broke my heart for the young people in that school, in that neighborhood, uh, just fell in love with the teachers and people who were working with the kids there and just really enjoyed matching up volunteer mentors from our church with, with children in that neighborhood and me volunteering to help out turned into what's the least amount of money that we can pay you for you to help us run this program. And uh, it's been a, a wild ride of pioneering urban initiatives for the past 17 years since that time. Wow. So, 17 years. That's some great longevity. <laughs> yeah. Trying to stick with it. You know, it's uh, ups and downs in urban ministry, but I've really enjoyed it. That program's called LAMP, Learning and Mentoring Partnership. It's still okay. going strong. Uh, I think we've had more than 500 volunteer mentors from just from our church that we've matched up with children uh, growing up in, in Homewood. And we've seen a lot of children actually graduate from high school and go on to do amazing things. We've even had kids who are young adults now that have come back to invest in the next generation of okay. young people in the neighborhood, which I think you can appreciate that as an urban leader. That's what you love to see is the right. next generation kind of take yeah. ownership of things. And so, uh, and that's where I found my, I kind of, I, I don't know if, if the word apostolic 
that word gets like misused a lot, but I have a, sure. I have definitely a pioneering spirit about me. Right. Of, uh, yeah. So my, my More church, the church plantery type of apostolic. Yeah. Yeah. Not the robe right. wearing apostolic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, but I, I do enjoy starting new things in, especially in hard places where there's a big challenge. Oh, I want to ask a follow up question about that. My guess is, and I could be way off, is that probably getting it going is probably the hardest part. Like getting people over some of the fears that you described earlier. I mean, I can see myself saying, I don't have anything to really give or help. I, I don't know that I can help anyone, you know, through some of these challenges. How do you, I don't know what the right word is, convince people that they can do this? And then what are some some of the ways that you equip them to be able to to invest in kids' lives? Yeah, training is so huge. It's a big part of it. So with our mentoring program, we actually train the mentors on how to build relationships with children, especially vulnerable urban young people who cross-culturally, there can be some challenges with the matches that we make. So we do a lot of training with that. And we provide a lot of support for our mentoring matches. So uh, that's ongoing. I'm passionate about training because we were about six months into the mentoring program. And I realized I have no idea what I'm doing in this urban neighborhood. (laughs) I mean, you realize really quickly that the city teaches you, it humbles you. And the young people, their families and the experiences that people on the margins have, uh, it humbles you and it, it becomes very overwhelming. And if you have any type of savior complex or I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I'm always optimistic about everything, no matter what, I think everything's the greatest, but then you, then you end up having young people that you know and love who are killed by gang violence. You end up trying to help people process that yourself while you're processing things like that. And so uh, thankfully about six months in, someone handed me my first book on urban ministry. It was by Robert Linthicum, uh, Transforming Power, uses Nehemiah as a case study. He does a brilliant job kind of developing Nehemiah as a case study. And then also Jesus as an urban leader, which was like kind of mind blowing for me and how that that led into uh, John Perkins books and Ray Bakke books mm-hmm. and Randy White books. And just uh, I, I couldn't read enough. And that's when I realized, oh, I have to change my whole way of thinking from my city is a broken place that I need to be a part of fixing somehow as a Christian to the city is a gift from God. And God was there long before I arrived on the scene. The Holy Spirit might have some things for me to do while I'm here for a short while. And then the work will carry on long after I'm gone. So what assignments does God have for me in this good city, in this place? Uh, Also that has systemic brokenness and individual brokenness. And uh, where can I kind of help orient what's happening in God's story and how God's redeeming that neighborhood? Uh, This really helped me a lot. And then providing that practical training and theological training for people who also want to be a part of bringing about transformation in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so, that's really great. Now you describe these kids as having vulnerable circumstances, which I mean, can be right for some just miscues from the church, maybe intending to do well, but maybe inadvertently taking advantage of some of the vulnerabilities. What are some thoughts you have on that? And 
uh, <laughs> at the risk of plunging yeah. really deep, really fast. I, no, I, I totally get you, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where some of the training I think is so important. So I do, um, lots of different trainings, not just with our mentoring program, but anytime I'm mobilizing volunteers into a place, especially into an urban neighborhood, uh, there's training beforehand. There's follow-up reflection afterwards, helping people debrief what's happening. A lot Mm -hmm. of the Christian community development principles have been very helpful with not hurting when you're trying to help. Uh, For a while there, we had anyone who was going on either a global mission trip or even serving in local urban projects were reading When Helping Hurts, or I would kind of uh, pull some of those resources and do some teaching on it. Um, just trying to, to say, you know, you're here to serve, but also to learn from what the young people here want to teach us or their families want to teach us or the neighborhood wants to teach us. Uh, another partnership we have with is with a group called House of Mana, and it's a faith community in Homewood that does just a ton of street outreach of just reaching out to people who are involved with addiction or mm. um, will involve with prostitution or, or things like that. And um, that place is just like a really sacred space for me and for our church to partner with that organization because I bring volunteers from our church just to serve there, to serve a community meal and then to share a community meal. And we do teaching on racial reconciliation. We do teaching on, serving like Jesus, helping in real uh, practical ways, and also learning about what God is trying to change in us as we serve. Uh, I think if that teaching doesn't happen, then vulnerable populations of people can be taken advantage of, are taken advantage of. Uh, Sometimes some friends call it poverty pimping, where it's just, you know, you're trying to get resources for the latest thing, which is the pretty much the opposite of what Jesus asks of us. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think most often it's, it's it's folks that just don't realize what they're doing. There's, there's just a little bit of excitement. There's a, an Instagram sensation moment going on in someone. And then they act before really thinking about it. Somewhere along the way you went into do more studies relating to the city um, studied at Baki Graduate University. Uh, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that and how that's impacted your view of the city and your ministry? Yeah, it was a transformational experience for me. I know you've written a lot and and taught a lot about transformation. Uh, I experienced that as I went through the Baki Graduate University Doctor of Ministry program. There's a lot of great Doctor of Ministry programs out there or doctoral programs. I wanted to do that one because I'm kind of a hands-on learner. And so uh, it used the city as a classroom. So you learn the theories, but then you go to different cities around the world and you see practitioners, pastors and leaders and business people who are doing amazing work in their cities. And then you learn and glean from them and then have to apply it with each project back to your own context. Ray Bakke, who kind of pioneered the program, he would call it the medical model of learning. So to say, kind of learn the theory and then uh, practice it out in your neighborhood. Even if you fail, you learn from your failures. And so I went from reading books to my first class was in Seattle, Washington with Ray. And while I was there, I got to ask people questions about incarnational leadership, raising a family in the city. That was just my first course, but I came home back to Pittsburgh 
And my wife said, how did it go? I said, I think we're supposed to move our family to Homewood where we have the mentoring program. We weren't living there at the time. And Ooh. that would have been a, uh, a big leap for our family from the direction that we had been on in life. So it took us almost a year, I think, to work through what that would look like. And then we just ended up kind of going all in and moving in right next to the elementary school where we had this uh, mentoring program, starting an open house ministry where we had community meals and lots of different people in and out for different things. But uh, it, it was different. It was a beautiful way to raise a family. It was a hard way in, in many ways, but that's what following Jesus should be like for, for any of us. But uh, that was just from the first course. And then as I progressed, I studied in Mexico City, San Jose, Costa Rica, uh, New York City, Fresno, California. There are so many different places that I was fortunate to be able to go. And uh, by the time I, I finished there, I did my doctoral dissertation on transformational mentoring. So I had studied how mm -hmm. to take this little mentoring program and help kind of with some of those questions you were asking earlier. How can I keep those from being transactional relationships that just kind of start and stop? And then young people have enough, you know, caring adults that come in and out of their lives. They don't need more right. adults to bail on them. And so I really honed in on how can we keep these matches going for as long as possible with really effective training and support in order for the matches to experience transformation. Uh, and after I graduated from BGU, I was just so thankful for it. I said, hey, can I help teach or, you know, or anything? And so I guess about a year or two after I graduated, a course came open because one of the professors became ill. And so I ended up teaching their relief development and advocacy course. And I loved that. And then uh, from there, I taught our transformational leadership course. And then about five years ago, BGU asked me to direct their largest doctoral program. And then a few years ago, they asked me to lead all their academic programs, which is fun. I don't teach as much as I used to. Now it's more kind of leadership responsibilities with our faculty and our directors and our team. But I, I really enjoy it. I do still get to work a lot with the students and uh, it's been an interesting journey. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's very cool. And uh, living on the other side of the world, I periodically meet graduates of BGU in various oh, cool. locations and some of the, you know, most untraveled to corners of the world. And they're folks from those places. And so they're able to engage in a way that, that most of the rest of us will never be able to. So that makes me happy to hear that. I love when I bump into BGU graduates. We some of them are in powerful places and powerless places. We try to equip our leaders to serve with equal integrity in both places. So yeah, one of our one of our graduates ran for the presidency of Zimbabwe. Uh, he didn't win, but uh, he got close. <laughs> okay, and uh, and uh, so we have some people operating in spaces like that, and then others that are. Uh, like you mentioned, just keeping their head down, serving in hard places, loving what yeah. they're doing, and uh, doing remarkable work that goes unnoticed. They're not writing books and everything like that. They're just kind of doing right. their thing. But, yeah, yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, we need more of that. Well, that's awesome. I, I'd love to hear uh, what BGU is doing. So for those of you that are listening, and if you're thinking about doing more studies, BGU, look it up. Ray Baki just passed recently. I would love just if you would be willing to share a few words about the impact he's had in your life. Yeah, I was so fortunate to be mentored by Ray. Uh, I really admired him, as did so many 
people around the world. Uh, I'm still surprised at how kind of God worked through an urban pastor in Chicago. To <laughs> He wrote some books and, and uh, through the Lausanne movement, he would just show up in a city, 250 cities around the world and just pull everyone together and do a city consultation and just really show off what God was doing there and then equip leaders to go out and build up God's church in meaningful ways in urban environments. And so uh, he's obviously had a unique anointing on him in his life for for where God called him to go. And I know it wasn't easy, I'm sure, uh, to go all the places that God called him to go. I think he inspired many of us just to go, you know, get out there and, and uh, view the city as a good place that God was working through. I think he had a bit of a prophetic voice in that way, just to say, no, mm-hmm. cities are not evil places that God abandoned. They're beautiful places that God set up to accomplish his redemptive mission around the world. And he always made you feel like you were special, like God was doing something great and you could be a part of it. And he was just super engaging that way. And so I miss him a lot. I'm really happy to help carry the work forward and and see yeah. where it goes from here. So. <laughs> Yeah, he's certainly a giant, missiologically a, a giant, and uh, like you said, prophetic. You know, when uh, people were moving away from city focus, he was among a few voices that were really championing the need to engage cities. From your studies, when you were getting a chance to work out a lot of this stuff through your dissertation, how did you see that impact your work. I guess my hidden agenda here is I think for a lot of people doing urban ministry, they see so many needs that are so right in front of their face that they're like, I have no time to study or do any of that stuff. So help, help sell it for us. <laughs> yeah. What I call it, whether I'm at the church or at BGU is the uh, invisible tool belt to pull out. So referencing relief development and advocacy, for instance. So there are times, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan, there's times when relief is required. You'll just walk by somebody. If there's an earthquake, you know, you don't say, hey, sorry, we'd help you, but we'd really be hurting you right now, right? If, if a person doesn't have a house and water and like right. the basics, then you got to provide relief. But we also have entire nations in this world that are almost like relief nations. They're just kind of their yeah. whole economy built off of external aid, which is so unhealthy and, and not transformational. That happens in many urban neighborhoods as well. Relief should be used sparingly and always be moving into that development space with housing and job creation and empowerment. And uh, it's one of the reasons I love the Christian Community Development Association and uh, Dr. Perkins's framework for empowerment is, is just an uh, amazing thing to see. So we do a lot of training on that. And then there are times when, as you know, where advocacy is needed at the policy level to solve some of the greatest challenges that we're facing. I know you were a part of one of the groups, but uh, a bunch of us who are involved in this type of work just sometimes will show up at, you know, at United Nations events where they're developing urban policy and just say, hey, we're here. We're Christians, but we're like normal people. And we we have ideas for for how cities can be transformed as well. You know, yeah, I mean, absolutely. A, a city like Lagos, Nigeria, that's going to have 75, 80 million people here pretty soon with a difficult infrastructure. There's leaders that, that God is raising up in a place like Nigeria to 
to address those those challenges. They're systemic challenges that require advocacy in order for people in that city to thrive and experience human flourishing. Uh, not necessarily my job as a random United States person in Pittsburgh, and uh, but God is raising up uh, leaders in the majority world out of the global South to address those challenges. Uh, I think I may have drifted from your original question, but this, you know, I think with research, it's about equipping people. How, when, when is relief? When is development? When is advocacy needed? And then also, many of the solutions may not be in a local church. You know, a lot of pastors think we're the center of the universe and everything needs to go right. through us. And God's like, here goes these business leaders that I'm raising up, and and they're just as much doing ministry as a pastor is. You know, uh, or you know, there's so many different places that God puts people to to live out their influence. And so it's kind of helping just to elevate that and elevate those voices and equip people for the unique calling that God has given them, whether it's through formal higher education or through great training on the ground in our neighborhoods that people can really wrap their heads around and then live out in real practical ways. So, so for me, for instance, for my dissertation, I studied this concept of transformational mentoring. But what that looked like is taking BGU's eight perspectives on transformational leadership and then applying that to mentoring relationships. And then this idea of transformational mentoring developed out of that. And so that means if a leader is incarnational, a mentor can also be incarnational. That means if you're mentoring a child, spend time with them in their own neighborhood, showing the child that there's good things in this neighborhood that God is doing here. And then uh, also uh, global leadership is one of our uh, transformational leadership perspectives, which means opening up the world of the leader to what God is doing mm. in the world. Same thing applies for a mentoring relationship. You can take that young person and take them to a museum that they may have never been to, a cultural event that opens up their worldview. And those types of things helped the mentoring relationship to, to last longer. Uh, the last one I would say is calling-based leadership. So if a leader is really called to a, a group of people in a place and God called you there, then you stay as long as you're called, especially when things get hard, you press through. The same thing is true for our youth mentoring relationship. So if God has called you to mentor that young person and you really know that you were called and you said you were when we matched you up, then uh, when things get hard, did God really call you to that? And how can we support you through that hard place to keep mm. that match going? longer. Yeah. So that's kind of how I saw the research lived out in a practical way. Yeah, very cool. That's awesome. Uh, you implied earlier that we need to pay attention to systemic issues in in cities as well. Um, what are you guys doing to try to address systemic issues in Pittsburgh? Yeah, well, I think we need to like say the awkward thing up front with this conversation is for some reason, evangelicals have a really hard time thinking through systemic challenges. <laughs> so, you and I could probably spend yes. a whole other podcast breaking that down. Uh, Michael right. Emerson, a social scientist, did some great research on evangelicals in the U.S. and uh, even trying to address like the systemic issues behind racism in the United States. Uh, it, you know, he really kind of studied that at, at length. Uh, it's great on the individual level. Everybody can seem to agree. Yep, racism is a bad thing and we should all be reconciled to each other and getting along. But as soon as you address the systemic reasons behind that and why those things are happening, uh, you get yourself into into uh, trouble. So, yeah. Um, 
but it's but all that to say, just that's kind of the caveat to the start of the conversation. But uh, for myself, I, I don't think you can operate in an urban environment for very long without noticing, hey, there's systemic issues that are at play here uh, that are that are causing uh, challenges. And there's a lot of great writers who have written about how systems can serve human beings and help them thrive and flourish. Uh, again, back to Robert Linthicum, he wrote extensively yeah. about economic systems. He was really systems. significant for me in understanding some of those dynamics, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think people need to write about them and, and just continue to shine the light on those things. But I'll just use one example. Uh, in incarceration in the United States, where the uh, we have the highest incarceration rate of any developed country in the world by far. And even though there's all this research that shows that white people in the United States commit crimes and do drugs and do everything just as much at the same rate as people of color, our prisons are filled with people of color. And so clearly uh, it doesn't take a brain scientist to look at something like that and say, there's something systemic happening here. And then you start to look at uh, some of Brian Stevenson's work and, and just mercy mm -hmm. and, you know, addressing the death penalty, yeah. Michelle Alexander's research on how um, police were military, and they focused their efforts on communities with people of color. And then that led to a large number of arrests and, and things like that. And so uh, I think the new Jim Crow was, was her book. Uh, and again, there's, as I say this, there's lots of Christians, leaders that would listen to me and say, that's a bunch of bunk. I don't believe it. Uh, but for me, it's been my experience. And so what do we do about that as Christian leaders? I mean, Martin Luther King, one of the things that he was most disappointed in was that the white church did not kind of rally to the cause by far in, in the civil rights movement to address systemic issues in our culture. And um, I think in yeah. some ways that's getting better. But I will say this also, since we're talking about global things as well, I'm, I'm focusing a little bit on the United States, uh, for, but uh, globally, you know, if you talk to leaders from certain places around the world, corruption is a significant challenge right. and exploitation. And systemic exploitation of human beings is a challenge. Uh, so it's, I think that's a big thing that the church really needs to focus on. Yeah, for sure. So to, to just kind of bring it into your own backyard a little bit, are you guys trying to do anything to address that? Yeah, uh, for me, it's about uh, if there's a young person in our mentoring programs who gets in trouble, I go to court with them, support them advocate as best as I can, put in a good word with the judge. I mean, and it's not that people don't deserve consequences when they get in trouble. So it's not about that, but it's about uh, as a Christian advocating for people and then working with friends who are meeting with the police commander of our city, meeting with the mayor and, and other groups who can help to enact policies to address the challenges. Right now in Pittsburgh, Coming out of COVID, there's been a significant escalation in violence among young people in our mm. city. Uh, one of the urban initiatives I'm working on right now is called a ministry hub. It's in a neighborhood called East Liberty, which is right next to Homewood. And in East Liberty, uh, if you would talk to the mayor today and the police chief uh, in this part of town, they would both tell you that the biggest challenge is there's not much for young people to do after school. Uh, and so with idle time after school, a lot of young people kind of with pent up stuff coming out of COVID and and not much supervision, they're a lot of times causing problems in the area, which leads to violence. So uh, me as a pastor, I 
want to work with them to have policies in place that are just so that we don't just arrest a bunch of young people and and that's not going to resolve the problem. So let's let's put those resources towards after school programs and working with churches and nonprofits and bringing people together. So our church here at our ministry hub just launched an after school program last week uh, and the city's supportive of it. You know, they know that they need churches to be a part of the solution. But they also know that churches aren't the only part of the solution. So we, you know, right. that's, that's where we're running into some trouble there is the church, you know. Wants I, to be the only uh, the only game in town. Yeah. And we oftentimes don't play nice together in the sandbox. And so, you know, we right. argue, fight over resources and things like that. Um, but I think, I think there's a fine line. As Christians, we need to be uh, helping to address some of these systemic issues. We have a part that we play in it. We get that mixed up when we try to assert ourselves into political power or economic power or some of these power right. dynamics. And so we're seeing that play out in, with things like Christian nationalism, things like that, where those lines get blurred and the church starts to put ourselves in a place where God didn't really intend us to, to be. Yeah, that's a good word. I think you're right. Advocacy can really easily creep into kind of the power play dynamic, yeah. right? And so I think that's a, yeah, it's a really important word to hear for our listeners who are around the world. What are two or three things you would say just as advice to those, how they might engage the city, whether it's some advice or maybe a book to pick up or, or something that you have to say? Yeah, I, I think just real practically, faithful presence is huge in the work of transforming cities. Staying in one place for a long time, uh, passionately using word and deed, empowered by the Holy Spirit to see change take place over times, and staying the course when things get hard. So, uh, you know, if, if you stay with it for a while, uh, one of the hardest things that I've done is to do funeral services for young people who die young that I've known and cared for in ministries over the years. And also, it's a beautiful thing to see young people graduate high school, go on to college or learn a trade, uh, be a good family person and come back and contribute to the neighborhood. And you don't get to see those things, the fruits of those labors that God does in people's lives if you're just kind of in and out. Uh, yeah. So that's one piece of it is this that calling to faithful presence. I think the other obvious thing that's kind of come up in our conversation today is to be a lifelong learner, whether it's through formal mm. education. BGU was one great place and I love working there, but there are so many great schools uh, that are training up urban leaders around the U.S. and around the world and uh, go and jump into a program. They'll provide a framework for reading and, and processing or find non-formal training. There's a group of global leaders that I meet with once a month. We just get together for 90 minutes and just process what we're learning and what God is doing in cities. Uh, hop into a network like that. The Urban Shalom Society is a, a great kind of loose network of leaders like that. Yeah. Parish Collective, Christian Community Development Association. There's so many uh, great organizations doing work. So, uh, But yeah, be a lifelong learner. Yeah. That's good. You have something else you wanted to add? Yeah, I just wanted to say also, like, you would never, like, pump up your own book or your own work, probably. I know that's not why you're doing this, but, like, uh, I know, you, I think it was Sowing Seeds of Change was just a great framework for just cultivating uh, community. Um, uh, I think was 
did you you published that through Urban Loft? I think they have a bunch. I of, did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, resources, uh, just great resources that they're putting out. But uh, there's a lot of, my point is there's a lot of people that are writing in this space. So check those out. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the, uh, the plug. Oh, I'll send you an extra check, your, your direction. Uh, <laughs> um, but speaking of which, where can people access your thinking? Yeah. So you can find out more information about Baki Graduate University at www.bgu.edu. So it's real simple to remember. And then um, my church is Northway Christian Community here in Pittsburgh. So uh, that ministry hub that I was just talking about, we have some information. My email is connected through there so people can reach me that way if they're interested in learning more. I do have a blog, but I kind of basically process through my whole Doctor of Ministry journey. And then whenever I do an urban immersion, I'll kind of pop in there and, uh, okay. and post there. But you can access my blog actually through my social media, either on Twitter or Facebook and Instagram. I'm active in all those places. So, Well, thank you so much for your time and for just sharing what you've learned along your journey. And I so much appreciate the way you've invested in both the church as well as in the city Thank you for having me on. And I know one thing, I was inspired by other people's stories, other people sharing their stories. And I know that's why you're doing this. So uh, keep it up. Keep sharing those stories. You never know who's going to hear it and be inspired to jump in and uh, do something crazy with Jesus around the world. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thanks again to Brian McCabe for being our guest on this episode. If you have any questions or input for the podcast, you can write us at missioncity at radiusglobal.org. Mission City is hosted by me, Michael Crane, and produced by Radius Global Cities Network and Scott Slusher. Today's episode was written by me and Scott Slusher. Thank you for listening. We would love it if you'll share it with others and take a moment to leave us a review on whatever you use to listen to podcasts. It can really help Mission City be heard by others. Until next time, love your cities well.